In the revelation of Jesus Christ, the apostle John sees an angel of the Lord raising his right hand like a witness under oath, announcing there is no more delay. The patience of God finally gives way to his wrath. The seventh trumpet is about to sound, unveiling something called the mystery of God. The word mystery appears 39 times in the Bible. Godliness, the gospel, marriage, the church, God's will, and the second coming of Jesus Christ are some of the sacred secrets mentioned in Scripture. But what is the mystery of God? Contained in this conundrum is the age-old problem of evil. When will Almighty God balance the scales and give evil, unrepentant people their due? I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. Hello and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian, always glad to have you with us. And today, Ron returns to the book of Revelation, which explains how the last days of planet Earth will unfold. Along the way, you'll hear about two Old Testament heroes who come to life again as prophetic witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stay right here or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen anytime on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From his teaching series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. Here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, The Mystery of God and the Two Witnesses. Well, if you love mystery and intrigue, uh, the book of Revelation will never disappoint you. At every turn of the prophetic page, uh, there seems to be a new riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. Uh, to borrow the words of Winston Churchill during World War I when he was describing, of all things, the nation of Russia. Uh, Revelation is mysterious. It, it, it stokes our curiosity, does it not? But if that's all it does, as I mentioned earlier in the this, in this series, if that's all it does, then we've missed the purpose of Bible prophecy and we've missed the purpose of the book of Revelation. Bible prophecy, as God unveils the future to us, is meant to purify believers, it's meant to provoke unbelievers, and it's meant to prepare the entire world for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And Revelation chapters 10 and 11 do that in a remarkable way. It is mysterious what we learn about in these two chapters, which are almost like a, a parenthesis in a writer's prose. Revelation chapters 10 and 11, within the flow of the entire book, are a parenthesis in the sense that they give us additional detail as to what's happening during this seven-year period of time on earth known as the tribulation. And, and I read just a little bit of it at the beginning here, but uh, this entire chapter, these two chapters are fraught with all kinds of mystery, mysteries of the apocalypse. For example, get ready to meet a mighty angel wrapped in a cloud and with a crown uh, shaped like a rainbow. We will hear seven thunders. We will watch John consume an incredible edible scroll, and we will observe two prophetic witnesses from the Old Testament come to life again on this earth, live, die, rise again from the dead, and ascend to heaven. 
John also shows us the future Jewish temple rebuilt on planet earth in the city of Jerusalem. He sounds forth the seven trumpet, and he piques our curiosity by mentioning something known as the mystery of God. What is that all about? And then if all of that is not enough to you know, get us sitting forward in our seats and leaning into the message a little bit today… Revelation chapters 10 and 11 do what Indiana Jones could not do in Raiders of the Lost Ark. He could not solve the mystery of the missing Ark of the Covenant. Well, I'm here to say today I am Indiana Jones. <laughs> My name is Jones and I'm from Indiana. Just that, that's, that's the idea there, right? Come on now. And before the message ends today, you're going to stay for the whole day, I'm going to tell you where the ark is. The Bible's going to show us that. So let's get started here. Uh, John finds a, uh, and sees a mighty angel from heaven who possesses great power and authority. And that power and authority is pictured by this angel that is standing on the earth with one foot on the land and another foot on the sea. Now, many Bible teachers and scholars have, have, I believe, misinterpreted this to be Jesus. Some have said, well, this is a picture of Jesus. But the problem is later in, in verses 1 to 7, this mighty angel who possesses great power and great authority raises his right hand like a, a witness in a courtroom and swears by one who is greater than he. Well, that couldn't be Jesus. At best, this could be another mighty angel, and I'm comfortable with it being exactly what John says that another mighty angel coming down from heaven appeared. Because angels are mentioned 66 times in the book of Revelation. They are messengers of God, sometimes bringing great comfort and, and uh, messages of joy, but at other times in the Bible, uh, His agents of, of judgment and tribulation. Uh, this particular mighty angel, again, has great power and authority, and John says he roars like a lion, and then what follows are the seven thunders. Ooh, mystery and intrigue. What are the seven thunders? Well, we don't know, <laughs> because kind of untrue to form here, John, as he gets ready to write down the content and the meaning of the seven thunders that follow the roar of this mighty angel, he's told not to write it down. I mean, everything up to this point, going back to chapter 1, John is told, get ready, write down everything you see, everything you hear. We have the book of Revelation today because John obeyed the Lord on the island of Patmos while he was in exile. He wrote down the vision, but suddenly, heaven's transparency policy changes here. And it's a reminder of Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29 that says, the secret things belong to the Lord. Yes, God is a great revealer of mysteries and secrets, even mysteries of the apocalypse, but, but He and He alone will sovereignly decide when to reveal something and when to conceal something. And we just get a little reminder here at the beginning of chapter 10, the Lord says, no, there are some secrets I, I want to keep to myself. Uh, the, the, the mystery of the seven thunders, the content, the meaning of that, we'll have to wait till we get to heaven to decide upon that. Some want to speculate its meaning. Uh, let's just leave it where the Scripture leaves it and where the angel leaves it, and that is, uh, John, you're not going to write this down. You're not going to reveal this part. But the angel goes on to raise his right hand like a witness in a courtroom and declare, no more delay. 
What an ominous three words. No more delay because now the judgment of God and the wrath of God is about to pour out. Now we are closer and closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And this declaration, this this, this swearing, no more delay, reminds me of those who really over 2,000 years have scoffed at the idea. Where is the promise of his coming? Oh, Jesus said he was coming again, but it's been 2,000 years. Where is the promise of his coming? To which Peter responds in 2 Peter chapter 3, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. In other words, he's not on the same timetable that we are. Peter goes on to say, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Aren't you glad that the Lord is patient? Aren't you glad that He has delayed at least one more day? Because every day that He delays sending His Son Jesus a second time gives another opportunity for people just like you and me to repent of our sins and to embrace the gospel. But Revelation chapter 10 tells us there's coming a day where this mighty and powerful angel who is given great authority will raise his right hand and said, no more delay, no more delay and outpours the wrath of God and the plan of God uh, during this, uh, this time known as, as the tribulation. And then John says in verse 7, but in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as He announced to His servants and the prophets. The mystery of God. Again, one of the uh, 39 or 40 times that the word mystery is mentioned in the Bible. God is a, is a God of mystery and sacred secrets, is He not? And He chooses to reveal some. He chooses to conceal others. What is the mystery of God that He's been talking about from ages past? Well, one scholar named Warren Wiersbe says that the mystery of God has to do with the age-old problem of evil in the world. Why is there both moral and natural evil in the world? Why doesn't God do something about it? That, that is a kind of a theological conundrum, isn't it? How, how can a holy God allow and even use evil for His own righteous purposes without compromising His holiness? Why doesn't God do something about it? Of course, Wiersbe says, the Christians know that God did do something about it at Calvary when Jesus Christ was made sin and experienced divine wrath for a sinful world. We, we understand God, God is, is not, not doing something. He, he already did something. And a new world is coming because of what Jesus did on the cross and through His resurrection. He says, we also know that God is permitting evil to increase until the world is ripe for judgment. And since God has already paid the price for sin, He is free to delay His judgment, and He cannot be accused of injustice or a lack of concern. I would add to that, it is a mystery how and why a holy God would even pursue a relationship with sinful man. You ever thought about that? You ever thought the way the ancient psalmist did in Psalm chapter 8 when he said, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? 
Oh, the mystery of God that a holy and righteous God would even care about the rags of humanity that we are, except that He created us, and He created us in His image, and He loves us. And He didn't create us as robots. He created us with a free will. And the story of the Bible, His story, is that we sinned against Him. Our spiritual and physical forefathers, Adam and Eve, chose poorly, and we are inheritors of that sin nature. But God sent a Redeemer, His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins and to rise from the dead. And that same Jesus who came as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago promised to come again, and He will come this time as a conquering lion, and the wrath of the Lamb will, will pour out upon this earth. There's still more to come from Dr. Ron Jones, so stay right here. Listen to Ron's messages on demand on your schedule at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. When you stop by, be sure to check out Starting Point, A Disciple's First Steps, a free online discipleship coaching experience created by Dr. Ron Jones. Look for Something Good courses when you visit our new streaming platform at somethinggoodradio.org. That's Starting Point a disciple's first steps, where you'll discover what it means to be a disciple and learn how to train others to be true followers of Christ. When Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, he was speaking metaphorically, but the apostle John was asked to literally eat God's word. Here's Ron with the rest of today's Something Good radio message, the mystery of God and the two witnesses. Well, just great mystery, great, great intrigue, and great interest just in the first seven verses of chapter 10. But we come to verse 8, and John says this, Then the voice that I had heard from heaven speak to me again, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. And so I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll, and he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter, and I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Well, how mysterious is this? That angel, that mighty angel who is straddling earth with one foot on the land and another on the sea is holding a tiny little scroll in his hands. And John is told to take the scroll and to eat it. I call it the incredible edible scroll. He eats, we might say, he eats the Word of God. And that may sound kind of weird and kind of strange until you understand that other prophets of God in other places throughout the Scripture were told to do a similar thing. For example, both the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel in the Old Testament were told to eat the Word of God. They both found it to be delightful. Isaiah, or Ezekiel rather, says, then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. Even David, King David in the Old Testament, in Psalm chapter 19, he describes the law of the Lord. He says it's perfect. It converts the soul. And he goes on to describe just how perfect and how righteous and how awesome is the Word of God. And later he says, it's sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. 
In other places in the Bible, the Word of God is compared to food. It's, it's called bread. It's called milk. It's called meat. Jesus even said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. I mean, how weird and how strange is that? But it's all a picture of us consuming the Word of God until it becomes a part of our being. Warren Wiersbe says it this way. He says, the Word must always become flesh before it can ever be given to those who need it. And he says this to teachers and preachers of the Word of God, woe unto that preacher or teacher who merely echoes God's Word and does not incarnate it, making it a living part of his being. And that's an important word to those of us who handle the Word of God, whether you're a Sunday school teacher or a vacation Bible school teacher. Become the living incarnation of the Word of God that you're teaching and passing on to somebody else. But I think there's more to the taste of this incredible edible scroll. John is told that when you eat it, it'll be sweet to your taste, but when it reaches your belly, it'll be bitter. And in one sense, it's a description of the Christian life, isn't it? Uh, it's sweet to follow Jesus. Uh, it's, it's sweeter than anything you could possibly imagine. And John understood that as one of the 12 disciples and even the beloved disciple of Jesus. He had a special relationship with Jesus, and Jesus did with John and his family. But there was something also bitter about how John followed Jesus faithfully and ended up in the Patmos prison. And isn't that true uh, as it relates to anything in the Christian life? It can be sweet to follow Jesus, but he may say, follow me this way, and you follow him into difficulty and challenge and and something that's very bitter in your life, but you learn to follow Jesus even in the, in the bitter times and the difficult times of life. Uh, this reference to a scroll that is both sweet and bitter also suggests that the Word of God is sweet to some people and it's bitter to other people. And you may be here this morning and you say, wow, pastor, I love it when you take the Bible and you open up the Word of God. It is sweetness to my ears. I, I love it. I digest it into my life. Others of you are sitting there grinding your teeth saying, I can't wait to get out of here and get to the Luby's buffet. Because there's something about the Word of God that to those who believe it is life to those who are skeptical, to those who are indifferent to the Word of God, to those who are hostile to the things of Jesus, it is not life, it is death. Kind of reminds me of Noah. Uh, during his day when he was building his ark, it took Noah a hundred years to build the ark. Did you know that? And as he built it, he walked by faith. He'd never seen a rainstorm or a flood. Are you kidding me? He had all kinds of people come by scoffing, Noah, what are you doing? Silly, silly, silly seaman building that stupid boat over there. And here's what the writer of Hebrews says about Noah. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So the writer of Hebrews tells us the same ark that saved Noah and his family condemned the watching world that scoffed at him, that was skeptical, that even remained indifferent to him. And so it is true about the gospel, the same gospel that saves some. For, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What good news that is. John 3 and verse 16. But have you read verse 17 and verse 18? 
Uh, to those who believe, they are not condemned, but to those who do not believe, they are condemned already. So the same gospel that saves those who believe condemns those who does not believe. That's the bitterness and the sweetness of the Word of God, and I believe it has something to do with John eating the scroll. It was sweet for a moment, but it had a bitter taste afterwards. It may be sweet to some today who believe, but it can be bitter, and ultimately bitter one day to those who choose not to believe. Well, that's enough right there in Revelation chapter 10 to just pique our curiosity and get us leaning forward a little bit. Again, Revelation is, is mysterious. It's, it, it, it piques our, our curiosity, but we read on in chapter 11. This, this is one of the most mysterious chapters in all of the book of Revelation. You're listening to Something Good Radio. Today's message, The Mystery of God and the Two Witnesses, along with all of Ron's messages, can be heard on demand on your schedule at somethinggoodradio.org. Check out our resource tab right at the top of the homepage for books, teaching series, lots of great tools to help you in your journey with Jesus. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Have you ever wanted to visit the land of the Bible and walk in the footsteps of Jesus? Join Dr. Ron and Catherine Jones and the Something Good Radio team for a thrilling Israel tour happening in January 2022. Experience a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. Walk down the Via Dolorosa. Visit Gethsemane where Jesus prayed and Calvary where he shed his blood for you. Step inside the empty tomb and see for yourself that your Savior is risen indeed. Is the Holy Land on your bucket list? Experience Israel 2022. Register at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Almost everyone who goes with us to the Holy Land says it's one of the best decisions they've ever made. When you visit somethinggoodradio.org, look for Something Good Travel to learn more and register for Experience Israel 2022, plus other upcoming Something Good travel experiences. Need prayer today? Stop by the new somethinggoodradio.org. Share your request with us. Click on Explore and then scroll down to the How Can We Pray For You option. That's somethinggoodradio.org. We also want to say thank you because your prayers and financial support make it possible for Ron to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your donations do make a difference. And when you give a gift this month, Ron will say thank you by sending you the complete audio download of the series you're hearing right now, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. That's Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. Request it today when you make a gift to Something Good Radio. Donate online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. You can also call our offices at 757 276 1099. Who are these? mysterious witnesses. Why, why did they return to planet earth? And, and, and what are they doing? Well, let's read on in verse 4. 
These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. Now listen to this. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. Who does that sound like? I mean, this is a little bit like a Sherlock Holmes mystery. We're just given some clues as to the identity of the two witnesses. Just who are these two men? Find out tomorrow in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, The Mystery of God and the Two Witnesses. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. So long and thanks for listening.